So welcome everybody to this first live episode of the Down the Pub podcast. Um, thank you so much to the Wanderers and Garrison for facilitating us. It's going to be a great night with some great guests, apart from Derek Martin. Uh, I, I really want to say thanks to everyone who submitted a question uh, for our three amazing guests. It's made my life and Gary's life much easier that we didn't actually have to do any work for this whatsoever. We just had to show up and drink some beer. So. Um, Thank you so much. There's some really tough questions in there for our panel to wrap their heads around, so uh, thank you so much. Um, obviously, sitting here to my right is my co-host with the most, the Wizard of Waffle, Mr. From Aways himself, Gary Griffiths. Thank you, May. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point in the club's history at the moment because we've gone from establishing ourselves and building these foundations to now being at a bit of a crossroads where we don't really know what's coming next. And I think tonight is a good chance to, to answer some of those questions and talk about the past and what could have been done differently and then talk about the future as well and what could be better in the future. And I think we all want something to be optimistic about and Hopefully we can get that from tonight. So thanks for coming and thanks for Ryan. Thanks to Ryan for organizing it all as well. So I think without further ado, we should bring on our first guest, Mr. Andre Rambasad, Captain Fantastic, my favorite player. Hi, Skipper. Good evening. <laughs> so, uh, th thanks for doing this, man. I know it's the off-season. The last thing you want to do is to sit here talking to us two idiots. So, uh, I really appreciate it. So, are you going to stay in Halifax over the winter? Uh, what's, what's the plans? No. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've spent the last uh, three years, three winters um, here. Uh, now I'm heading back home after three years. It's been a long time. Um, Heading home on Sunday, actually, so looking forward to that. So, no, I'm not going to spend another winter in Halifax, sorry. So are, are we keeping you from going home to Trinidad? Uh, no chance, no chance. Okay, no okay, chance. okay, okay, okay. But okay. I love it here, though. <laughs> your, your grandmother called me earlier. Oh, yeah, Not happy, she? not happy. <laughs> um, you've been here four years now. Like, how do you think you've changed as a person since you've been here? I think I've definitely uh, matured a lot more coming in. I was uh, 24 years old. At the time, 2019, um, you know, probably certain things that uh, I used to do, going out and stuff like this, uh, probably definitely changed drastically throughout the seasons. Um, and yeah, just just the love that people show uh, at the games and stuff, it just it's just overwhelming to me at times. And I just uh, appreciate it a lot. So I just try to do the, the the best I can for the team and for the fans. Yeah. Sure. I remember we, we had a chat in May, didn't we? We did an interview and an article. And I remember that was just before the Toronto game. And 
I remember watching you in that Toronto game and thinking, like, first half especially, that's the best half I've seen from a Wanderers player in the history, the short history of the club. Like, what are your memories of that night and, like, going up against people like Michael Bradley and a coach like Bob Bradley as well? Uh, I mean, it's a night to remember for sure. You're playing against Toronto FC, a team well-established over the years. Um, you know, all these great players as well, as you just said, Bob Bradley and them. Yeah, uh, it was just it was just a night to remember for me um, to show my myself, uh, showcase my talent, and and to do what I can for the team and and as I said for the fans. And yeah, definitely it went it went a really good way, but I had to come off. I was injured, um, I am string, so that was disappointing. But I really had fun with it and and no regrets. So I've asked you to come on my show a bunch of times, and you've said no. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> so. Um, the, the th the, you and Jeremy have obviously developed one of the best midfield combos in the league. Uh, how does his style of play complement yours? Yeah, I think I think with um, with Jeremy, it's 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 very easy because there's certain things that you don't have to tell a guy on the pitch. Um, he just automatically knows where to be positionally. So it's just it's just uh, between me and him, it's just a lot of trust, and and we know that we're the older guys in the team, so we have to set the examples. And yeah, eventually, you know, just like anything else, you spend days together, uh, you start complimenting each other on the pitch. It just starts coming natural, right? And the friendship beside that too. Uh, we're very good friends and yeah, we just wait to see what's happening in the future. So have you learned French to communicate with them better? Chance, no <laughs> chance. Um, so like, you know, we, we had good form kind of going into June. Uh, we had a, a big win versus Pacific and then there was a drop off, you know, we, we, we kind of had those couple of games where things didn't go so well. So what what were the reasons do you think why the form, we had a, that's such a big dip? Yeah, like you said, um, you know, going into June, we we, 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 we were doing well. We are, uh, the stats were showing. Um, and then I feel like, because the season is, it's very long. It's a lot of travel. It's a lot of practice every day. It's hard work. and. Um, I feel like a lot of the, because we have a very young team, a lot of the guys, and when you go back to 2019, you can see it as well, is when you get to traveling and, and then it starts taking a toll on the body, I feel like a lot of the younger professionals don't know how to, to deal with it. And I think it kind of showed when we started to go down and we didn't change as fast in the way that we played and, and a lot of teams kind of figured this, figured this out and we didn't have a, a different, you know, a different look to the team. As you see, like Coach Hart tried to play like five at the back now. And then we started getting results out of that. So yeah, coming into June, I think we were doing well. And then we had that spell where we just went down and we just took too long to change it. And I feel like that was, that was kind of the turning point for the season for sure. Just on that change a little bit. Um, so we went from a 4-3-3 to a 3-5-2, 5-3-2. How did your role in the team change during that period? Because I remember sometimes you were still a six. Sometimes you moved to an eight and Omar would be the six. Like, how, how do you think the way you operated within the team changed around that time? Yeah, I think it, uh, it was most of it, like, you know, most of the things that we, that we were doing was not working anymore. So, you know, it was up to the coaching staff and, like, you know, the more experienced guys probably have ideas and, and have their inputs. And I just said to coach at times, I was like, you know, sometimes you can switch it, you know, it's a different personnel. Like you say, me and Jeremy, we complement each other. But I think that, you know, sometimes when you play a certain team, like, you know, you might play a Calgary team where it's more physical game. And then you play a, a York team where there's, there's holes everywhere where you need a, a person to drive with the ball and stuff like this. So I think 
some of the times when you see that switch happen is because you know we had conversations about it and and we just think that the personnel would would work a lot better in 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 certain games and and that's why you see you see the change sometimes is that something you enjoy more than playing as a six or are, yeah. you, are you just happy to play anywhere yeah definitely um First, uh, any any player, any athlete would say who plays in a team sport would say, you know, just get me in, coach. I play anywhere, but I think it's more exciting playing as an eight. That's more a natural position, you know. I, uh, you know, the player that I am, I, I like to drive with the ball, you know, just standing in the middle. Because as a six, you you can't just go everywhere, you know. You have to be there positionally all the time because any breakdown, you need to be there to to kind of stop it. So it was kind of like like I felt like I kind of hold back on myself. But this is what the coach wanted, and this is what the team needed. So I just, I just, I just to do it the best as, as I can. Obviously, you're the captain. Um, which areas would you like to see the squad, the squad strengthen uh, from a recruitment perspective going into next year? We have to get uh, another Morelli back for sure to, to say it again <laughs> because we we've said it. It's very easy to say now because you know, like I was just chatting with uh, one of my buddies there. Um, Morelli got injured the second game of the season and, and you know, we looked to certain guys to step up and it, it didn't happen. So I think in this off season I think, you know, we just need to go out and, and, and try to get these type of players, you know, with this winning mentality and this quality. Probably positionally I would say like, you know, probably at the left back position maybe we can we can do a lot better I think. Um, attacking wise as well, like, you know, that number ten guy who's as you see Ottawa right now with Bassett, like he's that guy, like, you know, like he's creating, he's scoring and Morelli was that guy for us. So obviously we lost that. And so, yeah, stuff like that. I'd like to see us do in the in the off season and try to strengthen the squad. Do you feel that um, the players who were going to step in for Morelli in that position, like the weight of the expectation got to them and that's why they probably didn't hit the levels that they were probably aiming for? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, coming in for a player like Morelli, you know, the MVP of the league, um, top goal scorer, it's, it's, a, it's a lot, obviously. Um, but I think we had the quality to do it still. And I think um, if these guys were to be truthful to themselves, then they would stand here and say the same thing. Because from the time Morelli got injured, you know, we start looking around and, and we look at players and we say, right, now is your time to step up. Now is your time to be the Morelli. But you know, injuries and probably mental health, I don't know, but certain things kind of kicked in and, and guys kind of fell off. And that's not too helpful for the season, right? So that's why it probably went away. There's a lot of ways that, that why we, do we have this outcome now. So we just have to look back and learn and, and try to get better. It takes a certain personality to be a talisman for a team, doesn't it? Like it, to, to want to carry the weight of a club on your shoulders, you need to be a certain personality. And I think as a captain of a team you need similar sort of characteristics and as the captain of the club like what what do you think as a person you have that makes you a captain like do you think it's like a specific set of personality traits that make someone a captain or is it something you can learn i feel like it's, it's it comes natural because like i was just talking to my buddy again about uh, omar and and he he came from Notre Dame and he was a captain and you know you can see him coming in and just just naturally because there's other guys that like would perform and would, would be really good but they don't have probably the words or you know sometimes you know just just not that strength to, to, to carry when it goes hard you know when it gets hard and uh, 
I think I see a lot of that in myself to get, try to keep the, the group motivated even when we started going left. It was always a positive every day and, and trying to keep the boys on, on, on the right road. And I think, you know, that comes naturally sometimes. I don't think uh, some, sometimes you don't, you don't learn those things. So the big elephant in the room is like sitting right over there is that obviously Stephen Hart isn't with the club any longer and he's a guy who brought you from Trinidad to Halifax. So what's your thoughts on him leaving? Have you talked to him since uh, his departure? Um, if you could just give us an update on that. Yeah, I uh, said they, the, the, the news came out, I, I texted him right away and I was like, you know, look, thanks for the opportunity that you, that you opened for me to showcase myself. And yeah, it's, very, it's, it's a hard one to take, but I guess um, this is the nature of, of the sport, this is the nature of, of professional life, this is the nature of life on a whole. I mean, you don't show up, you, you've had, you know, four years um, taken away 2020. Um, we don't really have much to show for it for the fan base that we got and I think uh, that's that's a big thing for me you know uh, I, I would like to give my fans something to, to boast about because uh, I be seeing it on Twitter every day and you know these teams are going at it and you know my fans can have to stay quiet because we don't give them anything to show and they they turn up every day so that that's very disappointing but I think uh, for Stephen being out I think it, yeah it's it's very hard but I mean it's it's about time maybe the, the kids you wear when you came you were 24 pretty much your first professional contract was here in Halifax how did he help you develop into the player you are like I, I think it's important for us all to remember what he's done for the club too as well as we're moving on sure for sure 100 percent um yeah coming in you know I I was I got the the qualities of like you know the question you just asked of the, the being a leader and all that but Playing-wise, there's certain things you have to learn positionally, and he, he definitely taught me a lot. And if you know Stephen, he's always got a story about some time when he was in Mexico or something. Um, but funny guy, uh, uh, very 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 humble humble personnel. Um, and yeah, I've definitely learned a lot over the last four years. Just thinking about. Um Looking at the club holistically and the fact that you're one of the few now that have been with Wanderers since 2019, what, what are the biggest changes you've seen in the club in that time? Like the way it's developed and evolved? It's not the same club as it was four years ago, is it? It's, it's different now. It is, it is different now. And, and, you know, this year with the stats and everything, you know, probably would technically be the, maybe the worst year because of the the streak that, the losing streak that we went on but i think that we we, we definitely developed a lot around playing wise because you can see this year that we, we we definitely had a lot of patterns we had playing out the back was a lot cleaner i think um from last couple of years um and i think you know coach coach he definitely tried he tried to play like a much more attacking style this year compared to other years where we just play defensive um, and yeah, we, we tried. Another thing I wanted to ask is about um, the potential call-up to Trinidad, the national team. Is that something you've ever discussed with the coaches there or is, are you on their radar? Do you know about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually still, still on the, the radar for that. They never, they never let go because they understood uh, the situation. It was a situation of, of, of a visa, visa not being renewed in time. So, yeah, we, we had a mutual discussion and it, it was fine at the end. Um, and I'm still on the radar. I actually got a call today saying that, like, 
they still they want to get preparation started for Gold Cup in March, um, and they still have me in the in the mind. So when I go home, I probably would would go train with the national team and stuff like this. Yeah, it's amazing. Is that like a massive dream for you, like to play for? It is for sure, and you know just just like developmental wise, I think you know getting to that standard where you feel like you know like you represent your country, it's, it's definitely a blessing for sure. How did you recover from mentally not being able to make your, uh, make the call up? I know you and Akeem had been called up for that and you both couldn't make it unfortunately, so how did you recover mentally yourself to push on from that and put it to the back of your mind? Yeah, I think uh, there was not, yeah, there's definitely a bit of disappointment in there for sure, but I don't think it was a, a lot of recovering because, you know, I've been here four years now, um, Definitely trust the staff, the heads, you know, the top. So I know that if they could do anything, they would, they would want to send me, you know. But because of things out of their control or out of my control, I, you just have to accept it sometimes so and move on. And besides, I'm playing for the best club in the league. Hopefully we get the trophy for you guys sometime. But I still think, you know, this, this place is definitely the best place. Obviously, Alex Marshall got to play against Canada in World Cup qualifying. Um, how would you feel about playing against Canada if the opportunity came up? Oh, that, that, that would be awesome, actually. You know, <laughs> much respect to Canada, though. They, they, they've done so well, you know. Uh, big up to Canada for that, for sure. Making it to the World Cup, Qatar soon. Um, but that, that would be awesome to play, against, to play against Canada. Hopefully they have some Jeremy probably in there somewhere. They, they call him up or something so we can play against each other. Um, just a couple of, like, quick, fiery sort of questions to wrap up. Um, who is the toughest midfielder to play against in the CPL? Toughest mid midfielder to play against, I would say. It has to be beside Aparicio or, or Barca, honestly, because these guys just never stop moving. Um, they are, they are very similar, you know. Um, if you look at when we played them at the first game in the West, there was that first goal that Aparicio scored, actually, and we actually sat and we spoke about that before because making those late runs and stuff like this and when it happened I was just like yeah man like sometimes probably you just can't stop it because we've talked about this but I, I think I, I pursue is the hardest to defend against. Um, which, which midfielder in world football would you model your game on the most? A lot of people start calling me Busquets now because you know I play number six but a bit better than him though yeah to be honest, nowadays. Oh, yeah exactly quite, you know what i mean it's a bit like, creaky isn't i think it? i'm faster but um <laughs> i want to say yaya toure but i haven't scored a goal in the last three years so i cannot say yaya toure but yeah 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 i still remember that goal against cavalry in 2019 i, I haven't exactly. forgotten Man, how could you forget it's only one <laughs> it's the one goal <laughs> i'm gonna get a tattoo of it one day <laughs> I feel like the whole team probably feels the same way as you, man. We don't score too many goals. So, so, <laughs> but, but like, you know, when you're playing against players like Bassett and Aparicio, like, how does that improve your game? You know, like, because like, as you said, like, you need to, like, their movement and, like, the league is just moving on so quickly. Yeah, it is moving on so quickly. Quickly, if you look at the, the, the years that, that's gone by, um, how does it improve my game? It, it, it helps a lot with awareness because you always have to keep looking. You know, sometimes in a game, you might be up and you might think to yourself that, oh, you don't have to focus on this player or that player, but these guys go to the end and 
you just just that focus side of things i think uh, it they definitely helped me improve that because i got to keep my eyes on them all the time and uh, how how do you always like look so calm during games like there's a, so many times when you get the ball and you just do like a pirouette to push away from somebody like i feel like i'm going to like crap my pants watching you do it in case someone takes the ball off you but you're just like it's just another day you know it's going to kick the ball away you know how do you stay so calm yeah because in the midst of chaos <laughs> it's better to be calm <laughs> because then you yeah you try to do things too quickly it doesn't come off the way you want to and i trust myself in that way that i might think that i know what you're going to do before you even do it if i make a certain move so things like this you know like and and awareness as well and i am aware of the space i'm aware of where the player is how fast he's coming you know how much time i have so i think uh, these things definitely help me with the way that i play and calmness is just a side of me that's that's always been there in any situation in any anything that i've been in so yeah that definitely helped me a lot your motto for the club in the midst of chaos to stay calm stay calm yeah, yeah. relax <laughs> embrace relaxation like i think last question it's um it's from denton and it's the most denton question possible because it's it's adorable and it's endearing and it's the best of the human race but denton asked denton wanted to ask who is the nicest player you've played against he's just a nice guy just he's you, really nice you have a beer with him you'd talk about your feelings yeah <laughs> I would have to say though um Lapare for sure nicest nicest person he's vegetarian he he, he would tell you yeah meet me too I'm not nice chicken mate. don't don't kill a chicken for sure no Lapare for sure he's he's a class guy man he's yeah. he's always locked in 100% and uh, he he helps around too you know with the younger guys and stuff like he's always got a positive attitude in practice he brings it every day and off the pitch he's, he's definitely the nicest guy in the team what, what about an opponent because i remember when i used to play like i'd always have players i'd talk to when i was playing like your striker's a bit of a nutter isn't he yeah, like and yeah. like you'd have them little chats like are you comparing yourself to Rampersat right now is that what's absolutely, happening absolutely yeah yeah i could slot who the right hell in there. do you think you are double pivot mate <laughs> double pivot um who yeah who like who you play against like you think oh, they're all right they're nice like, we have a nice little chat during the games i think it's it's never <laughs> I mean, we we definitely have a lot of respect for each other, though. Yeah, I know he can't he can't walk around and say, "Oh, he's ever dominated me, no chance." Maybe, but I think um, nicest spirit. I'm I'm I, I be chatting on the pitch too as well, you know. So I don't think it's ever nice. <laughs> it might seem that way, but I, I I be chat I be chatting to them too, you know. But I don't know if I can pinpoint one one. They're all dickheads, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just a, a whole bunch of it, you know? No, but there's definitely a lot of nice guys out there, but I, I can't pinpoint, like, one guy, to be honest with you. Yeah. Sorry, Denton. <laughs> we tried. We yeah, definitely yeah. tried to be nice about this. Rampy. Thanks, Denton, for the, for the question. We really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, um, Ram Rampy, thank you so much yeah. for having a chat with us. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. So we kind of wanted to have this thing where the guests were going to come running up like the price is right. And Matt Feagan has just ruined it all by sitting here beside me. So thanks, Matt. Appreciate that. Um, so kicking off the second half of the show, we've got 
director of soccer operations. It's a it's a fluid title. It is. Uh, it's sporting director, director of football operations, general manager, all the different titles you want to call it, different oh. responsibilities. Are you getting a paycheck for each one? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the second part of the show, and welcome to our guest, uh, Matt Feagan. Thanks so much for doing this, Matt. Thank we you really for having it. me. Yeah, we're really excited about this. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, so, Matt, we're going to, like, kind of center the question to you on recruitment and thing on like personnel and things like that um, before with Derek we move on to the more holistic club stuff as well um, so to start like when you think back to la- this time last year last winter the season just ended you're starting to build a squad for 2021 sorry 2022 like what do you think the club got right and what do you think wasn't right um, well on the right side of it I think we attracted um, a very good under-21 Canadian uh, in Zach Fernandez right away. Mm. What a player. Uh, um, we were quick to go after a high-caliber uh, Canadian in Aiden Daniels. Um, applause. applause. Well done, um, we had to play the long game on Mo Omar um, and be patient and, and see if we could get him in uh, once things didn't work out for him in the MLS draft. Um, and we built a squad not predicting that Joao would get injured, uh, which you can't get everything predicted correctly, but I think that we added some good caliber uh, players to the squad. Um, I think as well from a, from a processes point of view, from a staffing point of view, adding Alejandro certainly gave Steven a good assistant when Mazut couldn't uh, fulfill the duties going forward. And um, I think those were lots of positives going into the season. Um, I think that from a, if you want to you know, go to the negatives, um, I think there's an element where in this league, uh, you, know, you, you have to invest in some players that maybe haven't played at this level yet. And that can be a little bit of a unknown quantity. And by virtue of us building a team that way and, and making sure that we invest in players that are for now and for the future, there's going to be some players that might not be ready yet and sometimes when a big injury happens to your squad at short notice and you don't predict that it's coming you end up with um not that you can ever predict an injury sorry um but you you end up having to rely on people that maybe needed a little bit more time to be nurtured in this this environment and i think that that's just the reality of quite a bit of what played into this season as well and uh, i think rampy alluded to that as well when you think now to like building for 2023, like those lessons obviously we've learned from 2022, like has that changed your approach to the kind of squad we're building for the for next season? Yeah, I think that um, I definitely think that the Joao's situation and you know he's he's obviously a big loss for us, but I think it made us really look around the squad and figure out how do we find some capacity beyond him as well. Um, and I think going into this season, we've got to just spread the love a little bit more, spread the wealth around the squad. Um, typically, we've tried to kind of make sure that the salaries were relatively balanced throughout the squad, where some teams have opted to go for, um, you know, older uh, players that are maybe being paid based off where they've come from and their, their past uh, experience. But they're also complemented with some loans. And I think that those are areas that we want to try and strengthen on top of obviously some positional areas that we want to try to add to. So one of the questions we were asked, um, be, be interesting to know like what, 
the, the philosophy is for replacing um, the, the squad going forward? Like, are we looking at an Ottawa-style rebuild where, and we obviously did the same thing in 2020, kind of crash and burn and brought a ton of people in, or are we just going to try and work with what we've got right now? Well, we have a lot of players on options, and obviously uh, we have a coaching change that we're in the midst of at the moment, so I don't necessarily want to say that it's a massive overhaul. Um, I think that this new coach that comes in deserves the opportunity to pick uh, who they feel works for the system that they're going to play with. Um, so I do also, though, believe in the players that we brought in. Um, in we've got a good core. We have some players that are on contract for next season that are committed for that. Um, but I don't I personally don't see it being like what we saw after 2019. I would equate, like, I think if we try to bring it back to us versus maybe say to Ottawa, I think I don't see it that way, that it's like a total overhaul and like 15, 16, 17 new players. Um, but again, part of that is, is the relationship with the new head coach and looking at exactly what we have and working with it and trying to get the best out of the squad that we have at the moment and also adding some key person, personnel in good positions that get us those goals that we have eluded us. So a lot of people have asked the question, like, so when it comes to recruitment, how much is it from the head coach? How much is it from you as the sporting director? Like, who's making the final decision at the end of the day on the players we're bringing in? Uh, the head coach makes the final decision because I'm never going to be in a position that I want to force a head coach to work with a player that they are not interested in having. My job is to give the coach every opportunity to succeed on the field, whether that's arming him uh, or her with the right staff around them, uh, making sure that they have um, the facilities, the, the optimal conditions that we can work with, and also from a playing perspective, making sure that they've got a say in those players. I'm not sitting on my hands while we're waiting for a new coach to come in, and then also working in tandem on the coaching search with, uh, with players. There's a lot of things that are moving at the moment that kind of force you to have to keep moving on it. But at the end of the day, in the process of these discussions with coaches, players will come up and say, hey, this is a player I'm looking at and talking to, and what are your thoughts on it? And when we get to those top two, three candidates at the point of interviews, knowing that those guys are maybe consistently on everybody's list, it will help me to kind of pull the trigger on a few others as well. Something um, you and I have talked about a few times, actually, is average age of the squad and, like, I remember chatting to you, I think, I, I can't remember if it was like just before the Island Games or just after, and we were talking about how we'd kind of got it to around 22, 23. That was kind of like the sweet spot where the players are kind of young enough to still learn, but they're, they've got some sell-on value as well. And that kind of correlates with something I remember like looking at in the league this season where kind of if, you've, if you looked at the league table, the, the youngest average age of each squad was kind of the lowest in the league as well. Has that sort of thinking changed the, the approach towards that? Or do you still think that 22, 23 age is the age of the player we should be looking at? Um, age for me is, is just a piece of data. Mm. Like if they're good enough, they're old enough, in my opinion. Um, it just so happens that in the first season, we happen to go more experienced and more players that, that maybe are towards the end of their careers. Um, this, this group now is... Um, the top end of 23 average age and if we retain some of those younger players then they're 24 next year and 25 and it's not like okay quick we, gotta be we better get back to like 22 years old it's not about that for me it's about making sure that you put the right pieces in place I talked to, to Derek a lot about this idea of it's not just about 
signing players that are about sell-on value. It's about push-on value as well, and push-on value being the ability to raise our standards and raise our levels. So if a player who raises our levels in a position that we need to is 27, 28 years old, and they have the capability of scoring the goals that we need, we will sign that player. Another thing is... Um Kind of over the summer, there was there was talk of a new striker coming in, maybe or some some bigger new signings. Can you talk a bit? Like obviously, you can't name names, but talk a bit about the process around that. And were there certain signings you were hoping might happen, but they didn't quite come off? And and how did that work at that time? Yeah. So <laughs> sorry, <mate. laughs> that's all right. No. So when when Joao got injured, um, we had one suddenly one international position available to us, and. When we talked about that, obviously, we, Joao was a false nine, he was a 10, he wasn't an out-and-out number nine striker, right? So when we were talking about it, the coaching staff at the time felt that they wanted to prioritize an area of the position we hadn't strengthened enough on, and that was the left side of the pitch. So the idea was to go out and get somebody who could do that. I also uh, went down the, ro- the route of uh, domestic strikers, and if I had to, you know, it's one of those things, it's like pitching in marketing. It's like you make 100 pitches and you get one, but that's actually the way the process quite often works. It's, there's so many factors in a player's decision about which market they want to go to, what they want to do with their lives, what are the factors that are important to them. Um, and sometimes we have a challenge with what we're, you know, as a club, like, or in this city, like, how do we appeal to that aspect from them? So uh, it's, it's just a piece of it where I think when we ended up bringing in FUMPA, he solved a problem that the coaching staff identified, which again is my job to do, is to go and get that player in for them. Um, but at the same time, they're, they're 100% during that process were Canadian strikers that were available. And I was looking at it and going, okay, is this what we need? Should we go with this? Or, But my job is also to make sure that we uh, pay fair market value for somebody. And that's, that's part of this process. And um, sometimes a player, believe it or not, coming out of the fourth or fifth division of England is earning like six-figure salaries that our cap currently is not like, I mean, we could do it on one player, but like we can't yeah. do it for 23. I, I've, I've recently, I'm sure a lot of people in here started watching the, um, the Welcome to Wrexham documentary and you look at Paul Mullins, how much Paul Mullins is earning for a conference team in England and it's just, yeah. it's absurd money and yeah. if you're competing with that level, that's not easy. It, it, it isn't, but again, and Derek and I talked about this the other day, when we're trying to find players, and I, he texted me the other day, said something about a striker, and he said, who should we go for, like, you know, who should we go for in this situation? I said, Paul Mullins. And I said it tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, what I actually mean is, Paul Mullins is at a point in his career where going to Wrexham for a project like that, okay, he's getting paid well, but he sees the value in going to that, and to me, that's what bringing the best players to Halifax. It's about attracting a certain caliber of player that comes here and gets this, and isn't like, okay, I'm going to play in a stadium with 200 people and be really happy. They want to come and play for 6,000 people that are jumping up and down every moment that they do something. And there are players at their points in their career that will want to do that. And we've brought them here when they had other opportunities. And yes, along the way, there are definitely some that we lose out to because there's other priorities they have in life. So, so we kind of, you kind of touched a little bit there on trying to bring in players from different markets and stuff like that. So one of the big signs that was rumored around everywhere and you end up going to Forge was Jordan Hamilton, obviously. H- how difficult is it for you to to try and get those players who are like living in Toronto or from Toronto? You know, like Calvi have brought in players from different clubs within the CPL. We don't seem to do it so much. 
is it a hard sell for, for you guys? Um, I think it's there are challenges. I'm not going to hide from it, right? Like it's Toronto has the bright lights, and if that's what your priorities are, then that's great. But I also think that Halifax has uh, appeal to certain people that want to move their families here, or have young families, or have been in Central American countries where they kind of see the value in that. I was talking to a player the other day that that's a priority for him is somewhere by the ocean. That's a, a beautiful place to live. It's not about going downtown in Toronto. Um, so yeah, there's going to be players along the way that there's much more to, to Jordan's decision for Forge than just like he wants to play and stay and go downtown in Toronto. There's family there and yeah. that's a factor. And sometimes you just can't, you know, you, you, you have to recognize what, the, what everybody's priority is. But we just try to, I think this, this fan base, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll try to bring it around to the coaching thing because it's the hottest piece of like the, the time that I'm spending right now. I've had over 75 people pitch to me or apply for this job of every level of this game and they see what we have built as a club and they want in and that's i'm not just i'm talking about guys who've coached it literally every level of the game and it's humbling but it also makes you realize that it's not actually all about the bright lights of everything there are people that see this project they see the city for what it is they want to be here when we build that stadium and they walk out and and that it's a a field that we're all you know so proud to have come from uh, these humble beginnings and i think that we will get the right people in for that uh, and we have along the way as well when they've had other options so so for yourself on a personal level obviously you're the one who everybody kind of goes player recruitment isn't the best we need this player we need that player so you're the face of all that stuff so on a personal level how do you deal with that pressure of you're the guy who's supposed to bring the next morelli to halifax um i Stay away from social media. <laughs> James Covey. <laughs> yeah, James. I, I run all my ideas by James Covey. Um, no, I think, listen, I think that I'm, I personally, I've been in Halifax 20 years, for those that don't know me, and I, I'm proud to this. I'm, I'm really proud to do this um, in my hometown, my adopted hometown. Um, I can't go to the arm view with my mates that I played football with without them talking football with me. So when you're as much as obviously there's a fan base about this, there's also a personal aspect to it where you can't hide from it. And guys are, whether they want to say they're holding you accountable or not, it's even at your friends level. There's, there's guys that are, you know, oh, why'd you do that? Or why, what about this player? Why is he not playing? They all want to know about it. So I would just say like from a pressure perspective, like, I don't know, maybe my, I hone my skills in marketing and, uh, app development before this and I saw uh, poured my heart and soul into building apps for Disney and Marvel and then saw people tear them apart if there was one error in the app and sometimes you just have to recognize that see it for the bigger picture and what you're trying to build and um, there's not a, a moment and my wife would be here and tell you the same thing that I sleep without thinking about what we can do to improve everything uh, in different areas of this pitch it's just it's 24-7 so when people ask how do you sleep at night quite well don't <laughs> honestly I've got two young kids and when one of them wakes up I don't go back to sleep because my head just starts spinning do, do you use them she's as my like, alarm clock do you use your kids as like proxy centre forwards in like a tactical uh, board like just move sometimes, their head sometimes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, like, looking, like looking ahead optimistically to 2023 um, what, are you, what are you looking for in a coach and what are you looking for in the new personnel we're going to be bringing into the club Emotional intelligence. Yeah. It's a huge priority in this league. Um, seeing the 
age range of these players and the levels that some of them are when they come into this league and the ability to get the best out of them, the ability to um, give them all kind of a, a clear understanding of what their job is in the squad, um, what their pathway is, whether it's to play 500 minutes or 2,000 minutes as a young player, um, whether it's a guy who's played at a certain level and expects to walk in and play every week but doesn't, but has a role to play, um, that's a huge priority for me. And emotional intelligence is also the understanding of what this crew and beyond this crew and the 6,000 fans are all about and how we build a team that's a reflection of the city. It's all about understanding the big picture. Um, for obvious reasons, there are certain credentials that we, <laughs> we need to make sure of, like the priority is going to be somebody who's uh, worked in a club environment. I think the, you know, there's, there's virtues on the national side as well as the club side, but that experience level. Um, we obviously, and I mean it, like we've had international as well as Canadian candidates come forward for the position. It's making sure that they are the best reflection of what this city is. And I think that that's, if we can do that and we can keep building this together, I think that that's, um, something everybody can be proud about and something everyone can get behind. Um, and a coach that I would just say lastly, obviously has a reputation for a winning mentality. I think that's a key piece for us. We put in too much time and effort on all of this to not be in the playoffs and watching everyone else play it. We want to be there. So just moving along to the, uh, obviously one of the big projects of the season was the under 23 squad. Um, how, how did you think those two games went for the club? Do you think that it promoted the talent that you wanted to see? And do you see now uh, an Atlantic League maybe coming along to compete with BC and uh, Ontario? Yeah, I was really proud that we got the under-23 thing off the ground. Um, it will expand next year. We'll do more of it. Um, there will be, we've definitely held talks and tried to push the agenda on having an Atlantic League that is... Um, you know, more geared towards under 23s or under 21s, under 20s, like nurturing the next uh, amount of talent. Um, I think we need to be true to our word, truer to our word when we go for youth sport players. We need to prioritize getting in AUS uh, players, guys that have chosen to either move here and play and have raised the standards or lived here, grew up and played and want to play for the Wanderers. I think we, we've got all of these targets in our minds um, and I think this under 23 thing continues to create a bit of a benchmark and a target for that and it was a great opportunity as, as well in many respects to see um, Ryan obviously didn't have as many first team opportunities he got dropped into it did very well scored a goal um, and got the monkey off his back and you know came in and albeit he you know he didn't get the goal at the first team level but it got him some more game time that maybe he wouldn't have had a chance to if anything, my only regret is that we didn't have more games because I think it would have been amazing. Um, it would have been a better opportunity to get game time for our under-18s. So again, our under-18s, prioritizing local under-18 talent, but making sure that those under-18s are playing football, so playing football for a club locally, whether it's in the men's division. Those are all things that, for one reason or another, just didn't happen this year, but they have to happen if we're ever going to get to the point of developing this club and, again, continuing uh, to have players from this region. What does that? What does the under twenty three piece look like for next season? Is it is it something where we'll see like a couple of games at Wanderers Grounds over the summer, or do you want to expand it beyond that? Well, at the moment, our our aspiration is actually to create a series of games that would go around the region. 
So I think it's important for us to also establish ourselves in other markets like into Cape Breton, uh, into Moncton, into Charlottetown, uh, really try to draw fans from that because if they can do that, then they draw fans down to the first team and, and there's a knock-on effect there. Um, but I think that just, you know, our target is to try and have six games um, uh, through the summer. You know, if we had our way, we would try to have the under 20, the senior league be a little bit more of a reflection of this program. But sometimes we can't control everything with, you know, there's some elements of Soccer Nova Scotia who are also going through a transition right now that just slows things down a wee bit. So we just have to prioritize the pieces that we can control, try to push that forward, keep expanding it. And if it means that the following season there's an under 20 team because it's doing something in a different in a league, um, we've been invited with our under 23s to go to Quebec and play teams. Like it was a phenomenal experience getting to know the the folks at Saint Laurent and Saint Hubert this summer, both kind of relatively new clubs that are, have got some huge ambitions. And uh, they it, it really started a lot of conversations. And beyond that, other clubs have now looked at that and said, hey. We'd love to start our preseason in summer in Halifax and then carry on, or, or region, I guess, Moncton, Charlottetown, Cape Breton, uh, and then carry on to other markets as well. So I can see it going with that. So we got a, we got a, a lot of work to get done for it, but that's how I see it going. As soon as you said that, everybody's face lit up and was like, Good. road trip. Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's part of it, right? I think that would be amazing. Like, I think all of this stuff, like, it's incredible to me sometimes Like, when I watch... I get sent like a video of like a fourth division German player or a third division German player and there's like 12,000 fans at the games. It's just unbelievable like some of the, the amount of support that goes in. If we can do that and carry some of the support and then you pick up some people along the way, it's just like the march to the, the game, right? Like it's bring the fans to that game. If we do play in Charlottetown or Cape Breton, wherever it is, and then those fans get latched on and they see what this passion is like and they want to come to the Wanderers grounds and that's how we just keep growing the family. Sure. Yeah. Uh, do, do you look, look? Do you look around at the AUS games now, and do you think, in terms of the level of the, the the quality of the players playing in AUS at the moment, do you see many where you think, yeah, they could probably hack it in, Absolutely. in, in CPL? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as I say, you know, I'm, last season we didn't draft, uh, but we had Aiden Rushinas, who's with um, Dalhousie. He mm. trained with us all summer. Um, we need to sign three under-21s next season. So look at that kind of effort and what he's shown in the professionalism and look at what he's now gone back and done at Dal. He's been tremendous. Um, I think that there's guys like Luke Green uh, who've come through as a... Uh, yeah, um, who played with us in, in PEI and he went and pursued his education, which we're a huge supporter of, which, you know, Kareem Sow is a player that we've... I know he's not from Halifax or it's from this region, but... He's a player that we have been patiently working with while he works through his youth sport. Get your degree, no problem. Like, and you'll get back in the squad and you keep working your way towards it and come out with it with a degree. I think there's definitely players in this region, though, that can take that step. And we just have to keep, keep giving them opportunities and keep welcoming them into it, whether it's to start with the under-23s or even if it's first team from the draft. Perfect, yeah. I think, Matt, that is everything for you, mate. All yeah. right. Appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Thank you very much yeah. to Matt Fagan. Thank you so much, Matt. We really appreciate it. Yeah, yep. of course. Thank you. And now, now we welcome our dear leader, Derek Martin. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, there was no booze, which was kind of nice for you, right? No, no booze. No. Yeah. No, yeah. 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 I know there was a couple at the yeah. back that were going on to boo the shit out of that guy. So. And what a great job, Andre uh, and Matt did a great job. Thanks, guys. Yeah. That was awesome. 
so um, I guess the, the, the first question, as I mentioned, there's a big elephant in the room. How, how was the conversation with Stephen? Why did you come to that decision? And uh, yeah, what, what's the new criteria for the coach looking like? Yeah, obviously it's difficult. Uh, you know, I think I made this comment in the release. I've said this every single time I've ever been asked. I'll never change my opinion. Stephen is a wonderful, terrific human being. Uh, he was a perfect candidate to lead us through the first, you know, few years uh, of our existence in this market. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the challenge I have is to separate, you know, being a businessman, the challenge is to separate the business from the man. And uh, it's difficult sometimes to separate your emotions from, you know, the goals that you have to achieve. But, you know, every year we've set out very specific goals. You know, and those goals were to win, uh, to make it into the playoffs, uh, and to move players on. And the reality is we haven't achieved those goals. So when you don't achieve your goals, uh, you need to really take a hard, hard look at why and what can you do to uh, change things so that you can achieve those goals. And, you know, by no means do I put all of this at Stephen's feet. Uh, but if Steven was here, he would tell you that he understood get, it being in this business for as long as he has been. Um, the day a coach gets hired, uh, he's waiting until the day that he gets fired. And, <laughs> you know, that's just the nature of professional sports. It's the nature of the way the business works. And uh, it was necessary, I think, for us after, you know, four really challenging years. And as much as 2020 was encouraging to do well at the Island Games, and it gave us all, of a, all a lift and uh, important during COVID that we had that, um, you know, it was during COVID, which was also a downtime yep. uh, for us as a club overall. And we really need, you know, something to uh, give all of you and give all of us uh, a spark. And I think that is, at the end of the day, you know, what a head coach can do is, you know, give your club some direction uh, on the pitch. Matt, I thought, uh, said it very well. Uh, his job is to support that coach's vision uh, with the type of players that he wants to bring in to play a certain style. And, you know, we are now at a point where, because of the way we've structured a lot of our contracts, uh, we have a unique ability to reshape this roster in the vision of, uh, of a new leader uh, who can hopefully take us where we all want this club to go, which is, you know, in the playoffs and scoring a lot of goals. Sorry, so there was one amazing question that we got sent through was that I've never heard this before, but um, the person said, I've heard from a few people that Derek Martin is really involved with or tries to be uh, in many coaching decisions, like who should we get minutes. Is this true or is it just a rumor? <laughs> I love oh. the tries to be <laughs> part. Um, uh, no. So I, I, I love rumors are really interesting. So I have no idea how a rumor like that gets started. I think I've talked to you guys for four years. Uh, I've probably given a hundred interviews in the last five. I don't know at any point if I've not said, I don't know shit about this sport. Um, and the idea that I'd somehow then decide magically that I know uh, the right formation and poor Matt and his wife probably, the phone calls he gets and emails at night with me trying to ask him to explain what a formation means and how you, why you do it and what, what kind of positions are in it. Um, no, that's not my job. Um, I've never done that. I've, I never will do that. Can, uh, can you explain the offside rule to us? N not well. 
<laughs> no, not well. I think I've got it generally, but it's still a bit confusing. Yeah. Something I, I like, just on a personal level, I want to ask you because I, like, I don't know if you realize, but our where I stand in the ground and where you are in the ground, we're basically opposite each other. I'm at the top of 104 and you're in the box opposite me. And I must admit, sometimes <laughs> I, when we concede or something, I can't help but just look at you because I can see you right on. And normally this is your position, just like <laughs> leaning down or hitting or hitting, um, hitting your box. Dr- like, drinking champagne yeah. and having a cigar. <laughs> nah, he looks gutted. Like, no, like, there has not like, been a lot of champagne um, recently. Like, what, like, I just wanted to know, like, for you as an owner of a club, what's that experience like where you're sitting there in your box watching the game happen? Like... You can't control what's happening on the pitch. Obviously, you know things that don't go well are going to come back to you as well. Like, what's going through your head during those 90 minutes? Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating uh, to be there and to have so much invested in what's happening, both emotionally, uh, the amount of time that goes into this financially. Like, so much goes into what happens during those 90 minutes and to have no control whatsoever uh, over what's going to happen. It's a really, <laughs> I won't say I enjoy it, um, to be honest. And, and my poor wife, who joins me most games in that box, uh, usually shakes her head and leaves at the end because, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm not very fun to be around when we're not performing and we're not winning. And I, I think I've almost broken my hand a few times slamming against the uh, metal container. Uh, when we give up a goal when we shouldn't. So it's, um, I hope it's going to become a lot more fun, Yeah, is what I'd say. Yeah. No, I, 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 like my, my partner and I, we've been together um, nearly 10 years, but she always says the only time she's ever seen me angry is when football is involved. So it does something to you like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a stupid sport. And we're all <laughs> stupid is. people for enjoying it, quite frankly. Um, looking ahead to the future, like obviously there is going to be a turnover in personnel. What kind of, what's the timeline on that? Like when are you going to start announcing who's coming back and who's not coming back? Are they decisions you've already made as a club or are you still kind of figuring out who, who will be back next season? Yeah, I think we're still figuring it out is the honest answer. Uh, priority right now is the coach. So as Matt uh, said, and I'm glad he shared the information, we've been, uh, as I thought there would be, we, it's been uh, proven that there is a ton of interest in this position. Um, I think sometimes we underestimate you know, how great uh, the CPL is and how interesting it is to people in world football uh, that, you know, New leagues don't exist in a lot of other places. You know, the leagues have been around for hundreds of years. Um, And that means we sometimes get expectations, I think, on us that we should be like some clubs that have been around for 100 years and we're still trying to figure some stuff out and try to, which is fine. Um, But it also means that lots of people are really excited and intrigued by what we're doing here and the potential that soccer has in Canada. So, you know, those, those two things coming together have led to some really interesting uh, candidates um, that give us a lot of hope and excitement that, you know, when, when we can share, you know, the final selection with all of you guys, that you share that hope and excitement of, you know, what that uh, coach can bring, both in terms of, you know, what they bring to the pitch, um, but also their ability to shape the roster. You know, I, I think uh, your question to Matt was fair, and, 
you know, I, I think sometimes that gets misconstrued. Like at the end of the day, you know, we, we can't saddle a coach with a ton of players. We want to have a core and we want to have, you know, uh, some, some good guys there that he can start with. But then he really has to flush it out to fit his personality and fit the way he wants to play. So the second part of your question, I think uh, we'll probably, uh, our goal is to have the new coach in place uh, sometime in November. Uh, we would then start, give him some time to uh, kind of evaluate and take a look at everybody. Uh, and I think there may be December, but more than likely January, February, we'll start to go through the, the long list of uh, kind of additions or, or pe- players that we're bringing back. And, you know, we do have options on a number of players, as Matt mentioned. Those options are until the end of December, so we might as well take advantage of that time to, you know, make the best decisions that we can. So where does, um, where does that leave the backroom staff for Steven? You know, from Steven's reign, like, you know, Dorado, John Michael, where are those guys in this conversation? Yeah, we've had conversations with uh, both those guys. Um, uh, I believe Alejandro's uh, really interested in, in putting his name forward for the, the head coach position. And Jan, obviously, is a really important part of our club. He's been around since year one. He's, as you guys said, he's one of the few with, like, Rampy, who's seen it all. Um, he's a passionate uh, man who, you know, said to us before he left that he wants to be here to see this thing all come together. And he wants to walk out onto that pitch when the new stadium, we open the new stadium and be a part of that process from kind of start to that point. So we'd certainly love to keep Jan and have him here. Um, But as we said to him, you know, I don't think we'd be doing our job right if we told a new coach, you have to take these people on your staff. Um, We want to get the right person in the lead. And then we want to let that person choose the folks that he wants to do his job with. Um, we'll certainly put forward our recommendation on people we'd like to see stay, but at the end of the day, it'll be his choice. So we, we kind of mentioned like a little bit there about rumors. Somebody had asked about the ownership structure around the club itself. You know, we've heard so many rumors about Bob Young. Uh, we've heard about Justin Trudeau was like, like <laughs> holding the strings over your head. So like that would be really interesting. Uh, I know. So, yeah. <laughs> but w- what exactly is the structure of the club? Like, are yeah. you one hundred percent the owner? Is uh, Gary involved? I am the ma- Gary's not involved. Okay. Um, Rumor scotched. Uh, yo, I'm the majority owner. Uh, I do have some investors. Uh, I don't think I'd be able to do this on my own. I don't. Again, I, the the amount of money that has been invested in this league uh, by all of the teams is, I think, way more than anyone understands. Um, and, and everybody knows that. No one's looking for any uh, sympathy around that. It's a business decision to make a big investment in the hopes that there's a great return down the line. Uh, so we've certainly got some investors uh, that have helped. Um, but what I can say unequivocally is that you know, no one pulls strings on us. Um, you know, I make the decisions at the end of the day, uh, complete autonomy on what we do here. Um, and we have also heard some rumors that we don't spend as much money as other clubs yep. and other things, uh, which I can tell you we, we spent, you can argue whether we spent it wisely, um, <laughs> but we, we spent uh, <laughs> the third amount of money in the league in terms of our salaries this year. Wow. So, again, rumors, you know, I, I, I can understand. We try. I was talking to a few people earlier. We want to do more things like this. We want to share. We want to talk. We want to answer questions. I think sometimes in the vacuum of no information, people make stuff up to try to fill the void and try to answer some things. Um, but at the end of the day, like, we're fully committed to this. Like, we're, we want this thing to work. We want this team to be successful. We want to win. 
Um, I'm a former athlete. I'm a competitive bugger. I, you know, it kills me not to win. And we're all in on winning uh, in many different ways. It's not just the score on the pitch. It's developing players. It's selling players on. There's lots of ways. There's filling the stands. There's getting a new stadium. There's all these things that are wins for us. Um, and I, I will say, I think we're the best club uh, off the pitch. Um, and now we have to bring the on-the-pitch stuff up to match. So the answer simply is you're 100% a fault for everything that goes wrong with the club. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Matt is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Derek, you alluded to Jan Michael thinking about walking out into the new stadium one day. I know this is something you get asked a lot, but I feel like it's gone a little bit quiet on it lately. Are there any updates on the permanent stadium? Yeah, the process has to go quiet. Um, again, you got to be careful how much... The, the friend, desire, friend, the friend desire to share... Right there with sniper rifles. Yeah, the <laughs> desire to share is always uh, balanced off by the need to not get yourself in trouble uh, by saying too much. So, you know, we're, we're working behind the scenes on a lot of things right now around the stadium. I can say that my enthusiasm has not been uh, uh, dampened at all. I think we've got all the right people on our side in terms of what we want to do and what we want to see. Um, and it is our intent, uh, and, and you know, I, I can say with a lot of confidence that, that we believe it's going to happen, I believe it's going to happen, is that by 2025 we're in a new facility. In the current location? A hundred percent, yeah. L listen, I've, um, I, I, in my job, I have to get a few things right, right? And if we get those few things right, we surround ourselves with hardworking, dedicated, great people, and the, the whole thing will come together. One of the core few things I have to get right is the right location for our venue. And... The only reason I got into this whole project, again, back to my earlier comment, it wasn't out of a love for this specific sport. I've come to love and hate it um, in equal measure. Uh, but it was because I could not get my head around why the Wanderers Ground sat in the middle of this city as an empty, terrible-looking, muddy field. I just, being in the sports business, I just could not understand why we were allowing this tremendous asset to sit there and do nothing. And, and I think it's been a long process. We've had to spend a lot of money uh, to prove it. But now everyone starts, is starting to see the potential of that site and why it works. And you know, one of the big reasons it works is where it is. So the minute you move it, um, you lose a lot of the, the great things that we have going for us. And, and I just, I, I will die on this hill that it has to be there because that is where it needs to be. <laughs> 100%, yeah. Right. Just, just for like my, my, um, my own like perverse stadium fantasies. I have. Um, like what, like I just want to like paint an image of what that looks like because would it be like, all four corners are filled with a stadium or would it be we build back towards where the food trucks are now and behind the goals or I'm sure you've got blueprints built up what does, yeah. it, what does it look like if there was a permanent stadium there could we could we even build back to um, is it Bell Road is that the road that runs there yeah um, yeah I think one of the misconceptions about the site is that it's too small 
Uh, and the reality is that it's not too small. It's not laid out properly right now. Um, but even just using the existing footprint that we have, if we're able to build a, you know, the, the, the vision I have in my mind uh, that we've put into a rendering so far is, you know, a horseshoe style grandstand filled in uh, two of the corners, a roof over those three sections, um, and then some kind of a either, I, I personally, I know some people don't like them. I love the sea cans, the shipping containers. I, I think it them, really yeah. adds great. uniqueness to our venue. It's kind of cool. Uh, I'd love to find a way to keep that as part of the new venue to kind of have a tie into our history. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I don't want to get people's hopes artificially up. Like, you know, we're still talking about a, a fairly basic structure, but it has seats that have seat backs and it has a standing area in, our, in the kitchen and it, it has a roof and most importantly, it has running water. Um, <laughs> so that we can have toilets and you know I, 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 I guess uh, you know this is the stuff we have to work on and worry about but you know the reason we can't have food other than food trucks is because we don't have any running water so you can't get licensed by you know the food folks at the province to sell food unless you have running water it's so simple but you know again because we just took this on to try to prove that the wanders grounds should be the spot you know, our team, you know, Trevor I see back there, Jeff Salterio who works with us, you know, every game they have to work their butts off just to get everything set up because we've got we've to run hoses and we've got to run extension cords and there's no power. Like everything comes out of one power source and we've got to run extension cords all over the place. And, you know, it, it just is so um, inefficient in its current setup, yet we've turned it into this kind of really magical little place. Um, which shows you the potential of what, what you can do with an idea, right? Yeah. But we need running water. <laughs> yeah. So is it um, your apartment or Jack and the electricity from? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I, I, I like the stadium. Is it, I, I find it like quite DIY, quite punk rock. It's, it's just like, it is what it is, isn't it? It's very authentic. And I, just I, I, I was just home like in Ireland and... Um, I went to like this ramshackle stadium, but one of the nicest things was when it was pissing rain, I could just walk over to a roof, and I think that's mm. the one thing we're just missing is just having a shelter. Although we did uh, get very lucky this year, with yeah. the exception well, yeah. of one really bad one. It, it all got saved up for one game. Yeah, so that was actually a question from somebody. Uh, how did you think you handled that? Yeah, I, listen, I, there's always ways you could do things differently. I think... Um, if I had to go back and do it again, I think I would have pushed harder to reschedule the game later in the season. Um, you know, a lot goes into those decisions. You know, we have to get on the phone with Pacific and try to, you know, help them out and try to figure out their plan. At that point in the season, we were out of the playoffs. Pacific was in the playoffs. You know, they didn't want to have a game tacked on to the end of the year. So the only, the only window you could have rescheduled the game in their calendar was the Wednesday night before the first weekend of playoffs. So all of a sudden, you're really making it difficult on them from a competitive standpoint to have to do that. Um, plus, there's always the, you know, is the weather going to be as bad as the weather report says or is it going to be okay? And we had to make that decision on the Wednesday night because Pacific was getting on a plane Thursday morning to fly to Halifax for the game on Saturday. So, 
you know, we're spending all night, all day and all night Wednesday watching weather reports and trying to figure out which one's right, which one's wrong. Is it going to bend this way? Is it going to bend that way? You know, why don't, what are we going to do? And at the end of the day, we decided to take a chance um, that we would be unscathed and we could, you know, put the game on on the Saturday. The backup plan was to put the game on the Sunday. Um, but then waking up Saturday morning and taking a drive down Quinpool Road and seeing you know, 100-foot trees knocked over onto people's cars, and, you, you know, then you get to the Wanders grounds and you see our media tower blown off and off to the side and leaning backwards. It, it was not a situation where Sunday was uh, feasible, and we had to move the game to Tuesday. So, you know, all in all, um, I won't say that we made the wrong choice because given all the other factors, it was kind of, I thought, our best opportunity to try to get the game played as close to the original date as possible, um, but it certainly was a difficult, difficult few days. Um, yeah, for sure. Like, just kind of still touching on the stadium. Obviously, next season we're still going to have the the modular stadium. Any changes coming? Any modifications to it in twenty? Well, we need a new media tower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got to figure that out. Um, uh, basically, no. Mm. You know, as I just said, our our very uh, firm kind of uh, commitment to the city is that we do not want to operate a modular pop up stadium past 2024. Um, that's going to cause us a lot of problems. Like, it's incredibly expensive to run that pop up stadium. Uh, way more than it would be to rent a you know 20,000 seat stadium. It's just incredibly expensive. Uh, and difficult, so I I don't think we want to make any big investments because it's going to all get torn out uh, in a couple of years. Uh, so, you know, I think we're going to try to get through the best we can over the next you know season, season and a half, two seasons, um, and then be ready to move into what we really want to have, which is a proper proper football stadium. So, just moving back to the manager uh, situation. Will the manager that's coming in, will they have the same scope of responsibility as Stephen or will that differ? Because at the end of last season, Stephen got somewhat of a promotion, I guess, into a new role. Uh, will they still have the set, that same role as Stephen had or is this going to be a coach and then Matt takes care of everything else? Uh, how will that um, look? Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's the same. Um, I, think, I think what we're looking for at a very basic level is the coach is responsible for the first team. That's it full stop, win. Your job is to get the best out of the 23 players that you have on the first team. Um, Matt's job is a bit bigger than that. Matt's job is to help the coach you know, get the players he needs to get those results, but also keep in mind, how are we developing the pipeline? How are we helping to grow football in the province, in the region? You know, U23 is great. We've talked about school programs, where what are we doing to just get more kids playing you know, football in schools? What are we doing to, you know, create outdoor uh, uh, mini pitches uh, around the city, maybe in old tennis courts or in old basketball courts? There's all kinds of things that we realize um, we need to do here. But again, it's prioritizing how fast we can go given where we're at in our existence. And, you know, the reality is we've had two full seasons, you know, as a club. Um, and, and we need to always try to measure 
our big goals and our big ambitions with not losing sight of what do we need to do right now to make sure that we put a great product on the pitch next year. Uh, we create a great fan experience for our fans and we keep building the business to support it all so that we don't go away. Um, and that means corporate sponsorship and it means ticket sales and it means all of those pieces that go into you know, running this business successfully. So do you feel that Stephen will spread a little bit thin then? Like, like the way you kind of said, well, like I don't know. Fun. What do you What do you mean by that? Like, what do, that, what do you no, think like he maybe, did? That maybe he had too many responsibilities instead of like just because you were kind of focusing that the coach should just have the first thing to worry about. Do you think Stephen had too many hats to wear? Yeah, I don't. I don't think he did this year. I think. I think when we started, by nature of us all just trying to figure this out and trying to do as much as we could, we started down that path and. Stephen would be involved in these discussions around U23 and how are we going to develop that and how do we work more with Soccer Nova Scotia and how do we, but you know, eventually that became too much to have to worry about that and be focused on just getting the best out of the players that we have for the first team. So I think it's good. And Matt's had a chance over the last few years to, to settle into his role a little bit more and, you know, learn as he's gone how to do things. So I think it's a good time for us to kind of separate those duties a little bit and say, okay, uh, new coach, you know, let's not forget your number one, two, three job is to win. Okay. I think we've only got three minutes left. So maybe the last question, it was from someone that emailed in and they said, what can you say to convince me to renew my season ticket? It's a good question. Um, <laughs> I think what I'd say is, you know, going to a Wanderers game is about more than whether or not you like the coach, you like the tactics, you think the striker should have scored that goal or shouldn't have. Um, I think it's a big part of it. We don't, we don't diminish the fact that, you know, it's our job to put an entertaining product out there. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't get better, there is going to be some attrition of people who just say, I don't want to keep watching this, you know? Um, I, I had a quote in, I think, the Herald when we announced Stephen that, you know, this is about wanting to see blue smoke in the kitchen. You know, that's what creates the atmosphere. It's what makes people who aren't necessarily as into it as all of you guys. Like, you guys are a special group. Like F the fact Football that you perverts. Every single one of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. but Football and, and I, I say this with great respect. Like, <laughs> like everyone is. Yeah, we craved a lot of you. We talk about this in our we talk about this in our office all the time. Like, there 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 is an amazing core group that you guys are a part of that you know really care about about this stuff, and it's important that you guys hold us accountable. And like, I, I, it, we we don't we don't begrudge that. We we kind of appreciate that there's passion and there's people that give a shit and want this to be successful and work. But the way this grows is for us to attract the people who are on the periphery and the people who don't care as much as all of you guys do. Because that's what takes it from five or 6,000 people to 8,000 people and to 10,000 people and to 12,000 people. So, you know, I think, I think what I'd ask if someone's considering not renewing is to you know, give us a chance. Um, we've, we've had to make a really uh, difficult decision to change from, you know, a style and a coach that we've had from our, you know, birth to going in a new direction. We're going to work our asses off to try to get that product on the pitch 
doing what we want, we all want it to do, which is to win and to score goals and to be entertaining. But never forget that this is a bigger experience than just, you know, how many goals we score or how many wins or losses we have. Um, I know I've said this at these events before, but the greatest joy I get from talking to people is relationships that have started because of the wanders. Mm. You know, like the amount of people now that have friends or the amount of times I hear from dads or sons who, you know, this is their chance to get together and have Saturday afternoons where they go for a pint down at Dirty Nelly's and walk up to the game and it's the only time they get, you know, in a week or in a month. No, that stuff matters. And uh, I, I think that's the secret sauce to this whole thing is, you know, how do we make sure we create moments and we create opportunities for people to feel something? Mm. Um, and, and I can only hope that, you know, the struggles we've had and the fact that we've been down in the muck uh, makes the rise up to be successful and to win that much sweeter because I think everybody that's lived through it and has been there for us from the very beginning, who's gone through the bad times, you know, winning a, winning a title with that group of people, you know, at the Wanderers Grounds is going to be an amazing, amazing feeling. So that would be my, my pitch. Yeah, yeah, I think, like, all of that stuff makes us a grown-up football club. Like, we're not just, like, some little startup anymore. Like, we're a three-dimensional football club with, like, the bad and the good that comes with that. And I completely agree about relationships as well. Like for me personally, I've probably made 75, 80% of my friends in Canada because of this club. So I think that's a good thing. And yeah, that's, that's a bigger part of it than the actual sport itself as well. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Not you lot. I agree. <laughs> Just no one here. I, I don't have any big statements like three-dimensional around that, but all I can say is, come on, you fucking wanderers. Come on, you yeah. fucking wanderers. Thank you, Derek. Thank you to everybody who came out to listen to me and Gary talk nonsense with these incredible people. And uh, yeah, man, it's been what a night. Appreciate thank you, it. Derek. Thank, thank you, you Matt. thank you, Derek, Matt, and Andre. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you, you guys for, for uh, thanks for you guys for talking about it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. it.